Hey, welcome to 412 Connections. My name is Larry Grayway. I'm here with Heather Kroos, who founded this podcast a couple years ago, and it used to be called Mylar, My Look at Recovery. And we've kind of switched it up this year. We used 412 because it says this, it says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two stand back to back and can conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And we're here to talk about how mental health um, affects our lives and how we can recover and how we need each other as a part of that recovery process. And so again, I'm here with Heather and she's gonna get us kicked off today. Welcome back to 412 Connections. Today we are joined by a very special guest, Dr. Chris Eden Welsh from Eden Chiropractic here in Kennesaw, Georgia. And I'm gonna let her introduce herself. Oh, you are? Okay. So, um, our office has been serving the men, women, and children of the Kennesaw community for the last 33 years. My dad actually started this practice. Um, we have recently moved from our location in downtown Kennesaw to a more convenient location over here on Vaughn Road, and right off of there at Barrett and Cobb, Cobb, Cobb Parkway. Yeah, that's what it is. Because um, words are hard. <laughs> so, um, but one of the things that really excited about me when we were moving here was I got this kids running program, which is actually how I met you, Heather. I mean, I met you through all the Kennesaw Grand Prix races, right? And in theory, I still don't remember. Yes, and um, and you always just inspired me when um, when I would see you at the races. You know, I saw your, the first time I ever met you was with um, Bettina and Dale. Oh, wow. And, um, and you were doing some work with Bettina and Dale. And, and I'd see you at the races and didn't really know you. And then it wasn't until, like, the, that last race that, um, that I found out that the, the police weren't letting you finish. And they were sticking you, you know, on the sidewalk. And everything was getting broken down. And, and I honestly, I didn't know anything about you. Um, and then you had the asthma attack and kind of crashed because you didn't eat the way you're supposed to. But, you know, Larry, I've known Larry for a long time too, and I, I just didn't realize how all of our circles kind of combined. And and you had that um, that little thing on your shirt that said, you know, who to call and who not to call and, and, and what to do. And I thought that was so helpful. Um, and we stayed there for a couple hours and got everything worked out and eventually got some food in you because, damn, you're stubborn. Um, so... <laughs> Very true. And amazing, though. Absolutely amazing. Because you never quit. And you never stop. And you just push and push and push. And the gift that you have to give this community is is incredible. And I'm just I'm grateful and honored that, that you would even have me here today. So, Well, thank you. And I prefer to think of it less as being stubborn and, and more as just being determined to achieve what I don't want to change. <laughs> fair totally fair sounds about right yeah so we're preparing for the event the second annual words are hard and this year you're sponsoring this event would you like to share a little bit about why you chose to sponsor this absolutely so i think the first one was um you never get anywhere unless you ask and you asked me and i was um it was a full body yes the second you asked me. 
Um, I didn't have to think one second about it um, because mental health and suicide awareness is very important to me um, because of a, a personal connection with, with suicide. And um, so when you asked, I was like, absolutely, let's do it. The more awareness we can get out there, the better. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole, there are two events. Uh, the, the one in May is more closely focused on bringing awareness to the importance of mental health and distinguishing it from mental illness. Yes. Because while they are two sides of the same coin, they are not, in fact, the same thing. Whereas the one in September, which we will be doing again, which is also an annual event, although it took a bit of a break thanks to COVID, we will be back on track this year, is more directly related solely on focusing on suicide prevention and gaining a better understanding of that. So in your opinion, what would you say is the most common misconception regarding mental health? Um, I think the most common misconception is that we are all mentally healthy, right? Um, and that by calling it mental health, I think people feel like they have failed if they're not considered healthy. And that there becomes such a stigma around it that instead of people saying, I need some help, they just bury it. And then they bury it and they bury it. And then when you get buried so deep, it's just too hard to get out. And then you don't know what to do. So I think removing that stigma is the first thing we need to do. Um, and if I could relate it back to like physical health, right? So physical health is a whole lot easier to tell. I can tell, actually that's not even true. Um, you know, you can have somebody who looks like they're physically healthy, right? Who looks like they're thin and athletic and what the media has told us that healthy is. And then I could put them next to somebody else who, who the media would say, oh, this person isn't healthy, right? They're, they're overweight and, and all of this kind of stuff. So, but then if I ran blood work on them and ran scans on them and, and did assessments on them, the person who doesn't appear to be physically healthy could be way more healthy than the person who looks like what we think it's supposed to. Um, and I think mental health is exactly like that. Uh, we think if somebody just says they're fine and says everything's okay and you get to see their, their um, best version of themselves on social media, right? And then we compare ourselves to their best, best our, our worst day to their best day um, and, it, and it creates all kinds of, of stigmas. Um, yeah. If, I, if you don't mind, I interject in this. Yeah. I think you're exactly right when you look at it because we've, we've been taught, and I know really our generation specifically was taught, you know, you don't show weakness. But you can go back even a generation before where grandparents didn't even talk about things like epilepsy, which my wife has epilepsy or had when she was a child didn't know that her grandfather had epilepsy. They completely hid it because that was weakness and they would lose their job. 
And so there's been all of this cover-up. And so the doctors didn't take care of her health properly because they didn't know Mm -hmm. there was epilepsy in the family. I think it's the same thing with our mental health. We try to project what we think everybody wants to see mm-hmm. instead of, and obviously there's a balance there. You, you know, you don't throw your dirty laundry everywhere, everywhere <laughs> you go. You have some balance, but with the people that you're closest to, the people that are there around you need to know where you're at emotionally as well as physically. It's all tied together. So I think you're, you're spot on. We try to hide that. Yeah. So. We try to hide it. We bury it. And, and um, and hopefully there's enough people around us and a community supportive enough around us that when we bury ourselves that deep that they either try to dig us out a little bit or they um, they throw some water on there and, and try to help us bloom and break through. It's interesting when you talk about the generations being different because you are right. I know it's a shock that I said it, but you are right. <laughs> Because if you look back to our grandparents' generation, the Great Depression kids, mm-hmm. they obviously had to hide that. And they went through a really tough period where suicide at that point was still considered illegal, and yet people were doing it to save their families mm-hmm. from the financial hardship. And then you move into the baby boomer generation, which is kind of interesting if you really break it down because the early boomers versus the older or the younger boomers there is a little bit of a difference even in that because it's such a wide range of ages in there and but still they hide it so our parents didn't talk about mental health and then as we were growing up that was something that we were supposed to hide we were supposed to be ashamed of Look at my nephew's generation. He's 13 going on 30. She has been since he was six. But their generation talks more openly about it to the point where it almost seems like it's a badge of honor to walk around talking about their different diagnosis. So it's almost like the pendulum has swung from one end to the other, and we need to bring it back toward the middle. A balance. Yeah, and I think a lot of times when, when we're trying to correct things that we see wrong in a society like sometimes we overcorrect, and um, I mean I can speak to the the 13 to 18 year olds because you know I've got a, a 15 year old and an 18 year old and now a 17 year old in my house um, and you know they had to spend their formative time in isolation right we were never designed to live in isolation um, and I don't think we're going to see the mental health effects of that two-year lockdown for another three to five years. It's already starting to rear its head, and I will tell you in the office, like, I can't find enough therapists to refer people to. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember you said that, you know, Brandon and, and Robin and, and, yeah. and Dr. Thomas were... Dr. Taylor. Dr. Taylor um, were on a previous podcast, and... I've taken my family to, to MindBody. They're amazing. They do yeah. amazing work there. Um, but Brandon can't get enough therapists. You know, they just, yeah. they're overrun. And when you when you call and it's like, oh, I can fit you in in six weeks. And what if somebody's in crisis? Um, so um, I, I think we're going to need a lot of kids going to school right now for psychology so we can really, like, help this. So, But that's, you know, how we fix it now. 
I unfortunately have more experience than I want to admit or remember about crisis as in being in the middle of one. Mm -hmm. I was 16 the first time I was sent to the hospital. Mm -hmm. It was not a good experience. And so for me, the fact that these state hospitals have been closed is a very, very good thing mm -hmm. because they were very abusive in a lot of ways. And here I am almost 45 years old and it still impacts me to the point that and there are still times when I need to go to the emergency room because I'm having an asthma attack and I'm fighting with Larry like, nope, I'm fine, I can, I can almost breathe. Right. <laughs> because that fear is so strong of ending up back in that, that place and it's been over a year since I've been in a psych unit or on a hold at least, thankfully I didn't make it to the actual psych unit. And so while there are places for people if they are genuinely in crisis, the reality of it is if we have more community-based mental health care, it's not only more effective for the treatment, it's also more cost-effective. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that really frustrates me. I am a certified peer specialist, and even though I haven't stayed up with my continuing education for a variety of reasons, but mostly because I don't have the mindset to work one-on-one -on -one and don't want to work in the field. So for me, there was no reason to keep up my continuing ed. A majority of people have no clue what a certified peer specialist is. And that is even within the mental health and medical field. I tell them I'm a certified peer specialist and they just look at me cross-eyed. Yeah. more than usual so mm -hmm. we need to really remember the importance of that community connection like you said which leads me to another question for both of you when you see the way that the media portrays mental illness what are your thoughts I'll let you go first Larry um are you talking now, now I want to define media. Are we talking like news media or are we talking more like movies and TV, that kind of media? Because there's a little difference. To uh, be honest, both. But I think the popular culture would be more prevalent because most people ignore the news. Okay. Well, I know I don't watch a lot. Know. So and I know and that's why I asked because I know you have and we've talked about this um, especially again we had another at the time of this recording so we record these a little bit before we release them uh, just had another mass shooting in uh, a school in Nashville which obviously that breaks all of our hearts um, but I know one of your big things in that is automatically assuming that that person has a mental illness or... Only if they're a white male. Okay. Have you not noticed that trend? If it is a person of color, they're either a thug or a terrorist. But if it is a white male shooter, then it's obviously yeah. mental illness. Fair enough. Yeah. I, don't, I don't disagree with that. I think, um, and I wish I could speak to it better, and, and, and Chris probably can, what I've seen of it either 
again, I think there's that pendulum. We either swing it really far one way or really far the other. I don't see a very balanced approach on how to, to handle mental health in our media. Um, and I know that's a very general statement, but I think, I think it's just very always this pendulum swinging. I think that happens in our culture, period. Mm-hmm. We, we tend to overcorrect, and I think it goes really far one way, and then we'll see it fly the other way. But I know that's a really terrible answer for this. So, Chris, it's on to you. <laughs> so, I'm going to say that I think the media does a terrible job of depicting what actual mental health or mental illness looks like. And the reason is that people need two things. They need to feel safe and they need to um, be able to name it, right? So if somebody doesn't understand something and they're coming from a place of fear, which is we fear things we don't understand. So that's one of the reasons I work so hard on some of the things we do here in the office. It's like, you need to understand why we do what we do, right? We need to understand one another. And if we understand one another, then we won't fear each other. The problem is we go straight from the fear into, I need to have this explained to me. I need something tangible. I need something prove that I can prove. You know, it's kind of like God, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, because I can't touch it, because I can't feel it, do I really believe in it? Sure. And then I create these stories and these narratives. So it's so much, and, and the media's job is sensationalism, right? And, and is, is to get people to watch. And the media now is not the media when we were growing up. You sure. know, the newscasts that are out there now are, we call them the, the, the nightly rape and murder report, because that's really what it is. You know, it's, it's not about news. It's not about anything uplifting. It's not about anything that's bringing communities together. It's about tearing communities apart. So when we come from a place of fear and a lack of understanding, then all kinds of bad things happen. Yeah. That's, that's good. You know what I thought of while we were sitting here? Should have my sons on and do uh, movies and mental health. Yeah, that, Ooh. that is actually one of the things. Because my boys do a podcast every week on movies. That's and something it, that I've wanted to do for heavily. over a year. I just haven't quite figured out how. Because they can speak to it far more than I can. Movies and mental health, I totally dig that. So, a follow-up question, because, again, things have changed. There there has been a shift in the language that we use, and while I understand this will probably offend some people, but growing up, using the word retarded was not a big issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I remember a few years back, maybe a decade ago, there was a, a big hit with the actress that Hilary Duff, her name and the, there was an ad on TV and two kids were talking about how an outfit was so gay like that was supposed to be stupid and she says well what if I were to say this was so white girl how would that make you feel and so we we've recognized the importance of not using certain terms and there's others that we live in the south and I'm not going to use because I don't need to mm-hmm and yet we know that those aren't acceptable in, in any situation and people will get upset. But there are people who refer to the weather as being bipolar mm. or making s- snarky comments about, oh, did you forget to take your meds today? Mm. 
or oh I'm so OCD or my ADD, ADHD, whatever, and they, they treat these legitimate diagnoses as a joke. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious because I'm pretty sure you can figure out my opinion. Mm-hmm. But what do you guys think about the way that people use these as slang and how do you think that it impacts the way that people think about mental illness? You want to go first? I mean, I can. Um, That's kind of the whole premise of words are hard is that our words have power. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we've we've used the term sticks and stones. I break my bones, but names will never hurt me, which is really kind of a little bit, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll leave it at that. But with that, words have power. And I've even caught things that were natural to growing up. I don't think our generations were all that far apart from each other. You know, I'll be 51 this year. So um, those were common terms and, and used, but it did isolate those that actually were really struggling, which pushed to what we were talking about before, hiding things that kind of stuff and and when we look at this the power of our words if we are focusing on building people up and not tearing people down or even in our our comments about things like the weather is bipolar or you know forgot my meds those things that we joke about we try to play off things we got to think about how that impacts the people that are around us and um, and how our words can push people away without even intending to. Mm-hmm. I know we don't. We say it as a joke. We say it in a fun. Nobody. I, I don't think the people that are saying these things are meaning to harm. It's more of just making awareness, which is why the words are hard. Night exist is to bring awareness to how we communicate, how we say things. Um, just it going back even to the September with suicide, using the terms, uh, you know, committed, mm-hmm. that, that term and the, the connotation that's behind it, trying to rethink our language so that we are conscious of the people that are around us, how we impact them, how we care about them. Um, being a pastor, we just actually just talked about this on Sunday because we're going through the, the book of uh, Corinthians, the letter in chapter eight was on basically being stumbling blocks for people, not being conscious of how somebody around you interacts with things and you create stumbling blocks for them. And, and so Paul, it was all around meat sacrifice idols, whether you'd eat it or not. That's irrelevant. I even talked about it in our culture. It's, we don't think about that. But if we are causing somebody else to stumble by the way we act, Paul said, look, if, if meeting, if, Meeting. I'm going to do the same thing you did earlier. <laughs> if eating meat causes somebody to stumble, Paul said, I'm just not going to eat meat anymore. Yeah. Because I would rather acknowledge that person and care and love for that person rather than do something that really brings me pleasure, but really I can live without. Mm-hmm. And so that's really, I called it knowledge versus love. And we can have all the knowledge in the world, but if we don't have wisdom and love, that knowledge is damaging. We'll use it wrong. Yes. So anyway, that was a really long answer to say words have power. 
Right. And they are hard to use sometimes because we have to correct ourselves. Mm -hmm. so. And I, I think that's huge. I think you know, when you started that, I was like, yeah, words are hard and, and they matter. Mm -hmm. And I think we forget that they matter, you know, um, and they can hurt people. Um, and if we're able to recognize that, you know, those words were in the past and yeah, we're going to move forward and sometimes people are going to stumble and if we, we treat them with grace and respect and love and just, you know, I can be kind of a hothead sometimes. I don't know if you know that about me. No, no, no. no never saw that. No, not at all. Um, but although like a lot of times my intentions are really good, but my delivery is not really what it needs to be sometimes, right? Um, the results always end up, but it might be easier if, if I picked my words a little bit better sometimes. So um, all that to say that yes, words are super powerful and that we need to be aware of our words, but also grant ourselves and others grace when they stumble. Absolutely. And, um, and find ways to gently nudge them in two different ways. Um, we put it this way, let's walk together on that journey. Absolutely. That's, that's a big thing for us. You hear me say it all the time. Yeah, uh, once or twice a minute. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's, I think that's how we do this. That's really the whole point of this. If we walk with people on the journey, rather than just point to them and say, well, you need to correct this, you need to do this, you need to go get therapy here. Instead, let's, let's walk together. Yeah, and it's, it's funny that the way that you just said that, like in my mind, what I really saw was, you know, we can walk together on like this beautiful path that we don't really know where it's leading, but it's going to be beautiful, kind of like the new Nick Creek Trail over here, yeah. right? Or we can do what the media does, which is stand behind you with a whip and and like beat you into submission to to do things right and and chastise you if you don't. I mean, I know in parenting, what I found, you know, I've I've done all of the gamuts, right? I've done the no, you won't do this. I'll be the overprotective mom. I'll do this, and and now we've really settled into if it's if it's a safety issue, or a morality issue, you know, I'll jump in. But if it, anything other than that, we're gonna walk this together. You know, it's yeah. um, good. Yeah. So let me ask you this because again, I have my own opinions, and I don't want to necessarily influence you until you've answered, and I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Oh, good. <laughs> But when, when we look at things and we say certain things, sometimes we have a tendency to belittle other people's experiences. Like when we tell people, well, you, you shouldn't be upset there's starving children in Africa. Just eat your peas. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry you, you don't have this, this thing didn't work out for you the way that you thought it would. But there's somebody in the hospital right now that's dying. And they, they, they seem to think that by comparing your situation and belittling it into something else doesn't have an impact on you, and yet it does. So how would you s suggest people switching that around? Well, I think it starts with us. Um, I think that's the first thing. Um, and like a quote just popped in my head when we were talking about this and it's, you know, we don't see the world as it is, we see it as we are. So if you've got, you know, let's say that I spoke 
inappropriately to Isabel and said, you know, why in the heck aren't you eating your peas, right? They're starving kids in Africa, just do it. Well, it could be something in me that looks at it and goes, maybe I didn't have enough growing up. And why would you be wasteful of that? So a lot of times what I find is when we say things that are hurtful, it's not because we're intending to be hurtful. It's because we've got our own filters and our own stuff. And I think people need to realize that 99% of what people say to you and what people do isn't personal to you. Darn, it doesn't feel like it is personal, right? And then we internalize it. It's really, and I say this to my girls all the time, you know, if they're being bullied at school or they're having a, an issue with, with a schoolmate or on a sports team, and they'll complain that this person did this, this, and this to me. And I'm like, well, they did do that to you, but it's not personal to you. That's their stuff, and they need to address their stuff. Um, and if they're going to continue to just emotionally vomit all over you, then maybe you need to, to redirect who you want in your community. You know, mm -hmm. I'd like to say, um, check your tribe and adjust accordingly. <laughs> and sometimes the tribes we have to get rid of are our bio families, right? I mean, and sometimes you end up with a family of choice, like you know, in a church or in a community or in a running club or with a group of chiropractors or whatever it is. So. No, I agree. The thing that, that came to mind is um, everybody's got a story. Mm -hmm. And for some of that, if we get to know somebody's story, and we're not going to get to everybody's story. There's going to be some people, and I, I tell our church all the time, you got to love everybody, but you don't have to like everybody. Because there are just some people you're not going to get along with. Your personalities are going to clash. That's just part of it. Um, but we should love everybody and treat everybody with respect. But I found that when I sit down with somebody and get to know their story, I have more compassion to, towards them. I don't always have to like what they do or want to be around them, but I at least understand their story. And I know how to interact with them. I know how to pray for them. I know what... I should do in that situation. Now we can't get to know everybody's story and it's like the person on the other end. I tell people all the time, my biggest problem is telemarketers and people in tech support. I probably have the shortest fuse with somebody on a phone that I'm not <laughs> looking at and probably say the worst things ever in those moments. Um, but those that have done their job well are the ones that make me feel like I'm a part of their story even in that moment. Like they care about me and therefore I care about them even if I don't get the results that I want. Mm -hmm. Knowing each other's story helps us to be able to interact better. So. I see where you're both coming from. And I, I, I do agree with you both to an extent, but I, I wanna challenge everybody that's listening to this. Because while we can't control other people as much as we may want to, and we, the only person that we can truly control is ourselves, mm -hmm. It's important to remember when we're interacting with other people that we all have our own individual filters based off of our experiences. Yeah. And so the problem is that sometimes because if you have been taught your whole life that you are worthless, that you're never gonna amount to anything, 
that it doesn't matter what you do, you will never be good enough. And someone comes along and tells you 99 times that you're doing a great job and then just finds one little thing you need to improve. The only thing that's going to come through that filter is the one thing you need to improve. And so we need to remember that when we're interacting with people that they that we can't change them. They have to change themselves, but it doesn't mean that we can't treat them with kindness and respect. Mm-hmm. And if we go back to that stupid nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Chris, you, you had surgery, what, about six months ago? I had two surgeries, yeah. One in June and then another one in September, yeah. Do you remember what the physical pain actually felt like? I do. It could, because here's the thing. Like, I know that the physical pain, and this is one of the reasons that I hate this stupid pain scale. Mm-hmm. I've had surgery on both ankles. Right. And when I had the second surgery, it was harder for me than the first surgery because I forgot how much it hurt. You go back to just shy of a year ago when I had two teeth extracted. I was in an excruciating amount of pain, but I do not actually remember what that physical pain felt like. I know it hurt, but I can't tell you what it actually felt like. But if you ask me about being in my first day of middle school in eighth grade and sitting in the gym floor because we were, I had gym first period and my mom had taken me to the store and forced me to buy nice clothes and I'm sitting in my nice clothes on the gym floor because we had to sit in alphabetical order and then after we did the roll because it was the first day of school, nobody dressed out, everybody went and met their little groups and I was I sat there by myself. Mm-hmm. And I can still remember how much it hurt. It hurt when I was going through growing pains and would pull my leg back to stretch out the quads and the hamstrings and being told it looked like I was a horse revving up to run. Yeah. Or people putting sticks of deodorant with instructions on how to use it. This was well over 30 years ago, and I can still, if someone refers to me as horse, or asks me if I use deodorant, it takes me back to that point. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I know it hurt, but I cannot describe the physical sensation. And if I had to get another tooth extracted, it would probably hurt even worse because I try to reference that first pain but not be able to. So I absolutely hear where you're going with this, and, and I'm, I'm going to get a little vulnerable with you for a second. So, um, so yes, I mean, I could, I could recall kind of what the pain was with my shoulder. I could recall exactly where I was and all of that. But when you talk about, you know, something that happened when you were a kid that, like, triggers you and you can't get out of it. So, um, I was 11 years old, and we were really, really incredibly active in our church. Incredibly active. And we, we did, you know, Wednesdays and Sundays, all the retreats, all of the everything. And, you know, this was a nice church. This was the best church in all of Pine Bluff, Arkansas, um, which is the armpit of the South, by the way. Um, know where it is. Oh, yeah. Right? So the, it's not the paper mills that make the town stink. It just stinks. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in this youth group, 
and there's these twin boys. I can tell you exactly what I was wearing. I can tell you exactly the color of the paint on the wall in the youth center. I can describe to you the linoleum on the floor, where the kitchen was and everything. And these twin boys and these three mean, mean, mean girls um, took me back into a room because they wanted to give me an award. And they were so excited and they wanted to give me this award. And they gave me the biggest dog award and started barking at me. Mm. And fortunately, we moved about six months after that. Mm. But one of the girls that was in that group, her father was the pastor. Mm. And it really tainted my ability to go back to a church in a building mm-hmm. for a while, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it wasn't that the problem was God, the problem was the people, right? And words do hurt and words do matter. And there's a billboard that I drive by every, um, every day on the way home now, and it's on the left-hand side, and it actually makes me remember that and I think that's one of the reasons I do so much work with kids and I do so many things in the community and I reach out because community is so important and I had what I thought was this amazing community and then it was ripped from me right mm-hmm. when I was in when I was 11 not unsimilar to what just happened a year ago I thought I had this amazing community the community's ripped from me mm-hmm. over differences of opinion mm-hmm. right so but that billboard that I drive by, it's blue and it's white and it's on the left-hand side. And it says, being left out hurts for more than just a minute. Hmm. And it talks about the importance of mental health and being included and what that, what that means. So I know we're doing a difference between mental health and mental illness, um, but I think they're both intertwined. Well, um, the words are, I mean, really this fits. It, it's because of how words impact us, which is really the point of what Heather's put together, mm-hmm. is that those words, those moments, are defining moments in our lives. And if you have multiple of those without anybody pouring into you a different narrative, mm-hmm. those are those milestones that you remember, yeah. like you both have described. And it taints things. Um, we talk about it at church all the time which were kind of a unique church anyway. But with that, we recognize how your story is not unusual. Mm-hmm. And even Heather's own experience, which is why she's doing the things she's doing even in, uh, in April, helping churches have a better narrative for those that are struggling with mental health issues and how we interact with one another. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. Let's face it, we're human, we say things, we think they're funny, we do whatever, and we don't always recognize what impact that has on other people. So we have to be mindful of that. And then there's give and take in that. Mm -hmm. And understanding that, hey, there is grace. We do make mistakes. We often say things and do things that we probably shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul says it, you know, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. Um, I live that a lot, but at the same time, if we're acting out of love, if we're acting out of compassion, we're able to hopefully 
change that narrative. And even though there's bumps in the road and even though there's a lot of grace that goes along with that and we can hopefully heal some of those wounds Mm -hmm. and not create new ones. That's the goal. Nobody's going to do it perfectly. Parenting. My kids are 18. Got one that's turning 21 today as of this recording and 23 on Thursday. He's 21? Yeah. Wow. 21 today. So... I always say as parenting, I'm just trying my best not to screw them up more than others. Uh, right, you know, right. you know, you're just, you're kind of, nobody does it perfectly, but there's a lot of grace, but I'm hoping that we pour into them the right image of themselves instead of all of the negative images that are there. Right. So. And, and to go back on that story just a little bit, I can promise you, neither one of those boys, none of those girls remember any of this. Sure. And they were probably going through their own insecurities at those times and had their own stuff. I mean, and if we can kind of try to put ourselves in other people's you know, shoes and, and really address that it's not that personal. And um, I don't know if you're a Ted Lasso fan, but I'm a huge Ted Lasso fan. And the whole thing is, you know, let's be, let's be curious, not judgmental, right? And just be really curious about why is somebody doing what they're doing. Sure. Um, and work really hard not to take it personally. And I get that. That's part of the reason why I work so hard to help people recognize that the biggest issue that society has is the us versus them mentality. Mm-hmm. Whether it's people that are facing race, gender, sexuality, hair color, whatever. We have to look and try to understand things from other people's perspectives. We don't have to agree with them. We don't have to condone their behavior, but at the same time, we do not have the right to condemn them either. We can tell them that we don't agree with them and there are certain things that are wrong and we don't have to accept that incorrect behavior, but at the same time, we still have to love the person. And I think that the us and them thing is huge. Um, I think it's much easier to control a society when a society is fighting with each other. And all I could think of when you said that was like the Starbelly Sneetches, right? Um, Dr. Seuss and the Starbelly Sneetches. You know, so it's like, you know, they've got stars, so they're, they're them and we're us. And then, you know, we just go back and forth. And really, we're all just one. Well, I know we're running out of time, and I want to thank you for joining us and invite you to come back anytime you'd like. We want to invite you to come join us at the Ben Robertson Community Center in Kennesaw, Georgia, for the Words Are Heart event. And for those of you who miss it, there will be a re- we will be recording the audio to share and upload in the episode that directly follows this one. So until then, have a great day.